0: Good morning, Parallel Church. It's so good to have you all with us today. Let's welcome everyone that's joining us at our campuses in Tabor, in Clare's home, in Okotoks, in Lloydminster, and Lethbridge, come on, and all joining us online, welcome to all of you, and welcome to the conclusion of our series that we started beginning of January called New Year's Resolution, and we've been going through five, we're going to conclude today, we're going to give you the fifth one today, five directional statements that are not just for this year, but are I believe are for our lives moving forward, and we're going to wrap it up today and hopefully give you an understanding of, uh, of it and a little bit more clarity of how all of these especially work together. All right, if you missed any of these messages, I'd highly encourage you to go back and uh, listen or watch them because I believe they are transformational. And I'll explain why. The first one we looked at uh, at the beginning of January was Focus Higher. I'm going to draw for you all, which is always a fun experiment. Focus Higher. Focusing Higher is really about... Putting God first. And I know that sounds cliche, especially for a pastor to say putting God first. But even as a pastor, I've had, there's many opportunities when a problem will arise or something, an obstacle comes in my way. And the first thing I do is I go to experience or I go to uh, somebody else and I go to you know a book uh, instead of the first thing being. And then afterwards, after I've done all those things, I'm like, oh, maybe I should pray about this. You know, it's like light bulb goes on and thinking, okay, I should place God first and go to God first in in prayer. And the Bible really instructs us to seek first the kingdom of God and all of His righteousness, all of His ways. Seek first. That's really what uh, focusing higher is all about. The second one we looked at was grow smaller. Let's see if I can spell. Uh, grow smaller is really about our relationships. With one another, and how God has this unique strategy, different than what we like as human beings. As human beings, we typically we think bigger. We got to go bigger. We like bigger business. We like bigger uh, church. We like bigger uh, bank accounts. We like everything big, and yet God has this strategy—a unique strategy for small. Jesus had big crowds, and yet he would often withdraw from those big crowds, didn't motivate just the big crowds, but he would withdraw from those t- those crowds and go and focus on 12. And out of those 12, he'd focus on three, and then he chose to send them out two by two. And apparently it made an impression because his disciples, when they planted the church, we, we read it last week in Acts 13, they prayed and they fasted, and then and then they sent out Paul and Barnabas two. they sent two out. Out to plant churches all around the region, and they did. And it's it's something. It's a strategy that really emphasizes our need for relationship, deep relationship with one another. That we're not going to grow. As as deeply as we do in in a large crowd, we won't grow and and mature in a large crowd, but there's something that happens when we gather smaller and we connect with one another and accountability grows. We seem to be able to grow more effectively smaller. The third one we looked at was anchor deeper. And Anchoring deeper is, yes, it's the word, uh, focusing on the word of god but we've it's uh, again it's cliche to say well let's just focus on uh, on the word of god and we need to know more about the word of god and we should read more of the word of god yes all of that is true and yet jesus said he said that your life will be built on the rock not just when you read not just when you have knowledge he says your life will be built on the rock when you hear these words of mine or read these words of mine and do them right. There's there's something about uh, action. And James, the brother of Jesus, he would say it this way. He says, "Don't just be uh, hearers of the word, but be doers also." Right. So he, we want to be able anchoring deeper is really not just about not just about knowing more of the Bible, not just getting more knowledge of God and of of His Word, but it's really about reading what we read and then actually going out and Doing it. Uh, The last one we looked at was love louder. Loving louder is about taking care of the least of these. Jesus made it a big priority to take care of the least of these, to love uh, the people around us. Paul would say in Galatians 5, verse 6, he says, The only faith that counts is one who expresses itself through. Love Again, there's, there's a doing part. Then Jesus said this, a new command I give you. When, when Jesus says a command I'm giving you, that's not just a gentle suggestion. But he says a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So really it's important for us to love louder. What you might notice about these four is that if you were to categorize focusing higher and anchoring deeper, and put them into one category, you would say, this is my relationship with God, which the Bible says, Jesus said, all of the word of God can be condensed into two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Loving God is huge, so I'm gonna focus higher, I'm gonna anchor deeper, that's gonna increase my intimacy with God in a big way. Then if you combine these two together, what do we get? We get we get relationship with others. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your, your heart, with your soul, your mind. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you put these together, there's a cross. Look at that, wow. Um, if you put these together, there's, there's, uh, it's basically summing up all of the Bible and you put that as a focus. Now, we talked about this last week and we said that calling is the intersection between intimacy with God and mission, which is about people. That calling, man, I write too big. That calling, call, yeah, calling is right here in the intersection of intimacy with God and mission when it comes to people. What is what is interesting and what do I mean by calling? I believe without a shadow of a doubt that each one of you is called of God that you are made on purpose for a purpose for such a time as this that the Bible says in Psalm 139 that before you were even formed in your mother's womb God had a plan for you and then it says before the foundations of the earth that God created had a plan for you that he knew you by name before he put all of the earth together and he knew what time you would be existing. he knew what you're doing and he knew that you had a purpose and a call for such a time as this how many believe that That we were made on purpose for a purpose for such a time as this. And how you discover what that purpose is, is really, I focus higher, anchor deeper, my intimacy with God. How I discover that intersection of what that specific purpose is, is all about the intersection between intimacy with God and mission when it comes to people. Now, number five, and I'll show you where number five fits on on this, this graph, but number five For those of you who are note takers, I've been keeping up and getting along. Is number five is uh, build stronger, build stronger. Now let me explain what build stronger means and what. I'm going to go through a passage of scripture that honestly, this passage, I it might be my passage for the year, I don't know, or longer, but I cannot get out of it. I've read it and reread it and read it again. Um, I just keep going back and seeing more and more uh, things in this passage. And, and this one really just kind of sums up all of what we've just been through uh, in this series. But this one is so, so powerful. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read it this time out of the Message Bible. And, and uh, I've read it, this passage through um, all different types of translations over the last... Um, a while, um, but something happened this week when I started, writing, I just pulled up the Message Bible and went, wow, this explains it um, in only a way that Eugene Peterson, who's, who translated uh, the Message Bible, he's just got away with words and just blunt and clear. So I'm gonna read from the Message Bible. Verse one says this, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, and that's not a metaphor. Paul actually wrote this, uh, this letter to the Ephesians while he was in prison in Rome. He says, so while I'm locked up here as a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. So while I'm locked up here, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet, run on the road, on the road God called you. On the road God called you to run. You can see when Paul's writing this, he's not just writing this to the pastors in, in Ephesus. He's writing this to all of the believers in that church. And he's also, in essence, now that we we have it and we're reading this now, he's writing it to each one of us in our church, that each one of us has a road that's specifically for us to walk, or better yet, run on. That you have a call, that each one of you were made on purpose, for a purpose, and each one of you was given a path in which to to run. Then he goes on, and he says... I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want uh, anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. So I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone of you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. When I read this, this part of the verse, I felt a, a massive. Conviction, and, and here's the conviction that I felt, is that I, I realized, and God's been chipping away at this and working on me in, in a big way, but I realized that the way that we do church here in the West creates a whole lot of people sitting around on their hands, just the system of itself, that the way that we do church in the Western world, and by the way, kind of the conviction I got and this started when I had this, I don't know, I read something somewhere or something like that that started to say that the church, the Christian church around the world has grown more in the last year, in 2023, grew more in 2023 than it did in the previous 2,000 years combined. And I went, what? Because everything I read about the church in Canada and America is that churches everywhere are in decline that that the overall Christianity in the West is drastically declining and I was like I was like how is the church growing around the world and not here and I began asking those questions and pressing into it and reading more. And what I discovered is that, is that this very thing, that the way, the system in which we do church, this is, to be honest, this is the only way I've known how to do church. I grew up in church. This is the way I went to church. I attended every Sunday. And what I mean by our system is our system of church in the West is it's a once-a-week gathering where we gather together Sunday morning. We go to church. And we go to a building somewhere and we gather and we sit in in rows and we, uh, we listen to a sermon and we sing a bunch of songs. That's what I grew up with. That's what you've grown up with. But here's the problem, is that when we only sit in rows and we do church once a week in a gathering like this, that often what happens is we create spectators. And when we create spectators... Spectators typically demand a spectacle. So the churches that are growing just create a better, bigger spectacle. And I was like, uh. And here's what happens, is that we have this mentality in the West, we have this mentality that only a few are called. That the pastors are called or that people who are work within the church are called. Only a few are called. But Paul says very specifically in writing to all the church, he's not just writing to pastors. He says, all of you have a calling. All of you have, have a road to run on. So somehow what we're doing is creating, a, spectators, a whole lot of sitting around on our hands not doing Anything. And so I got to the place where I was like, God, like something's wrong. I'm thinking wrong. And I've got more caught up in tradition than I've gotten caught up in God's way of doing things. And so what I ended up doing was I repented and began to repent. And repent before you think that I wore sackcloth and ashes and whipped myself and fell down and cried and bawled. I did a little bit of crying um, in this, but that's not repentance. Repentance, we think and we interpret repentance as to be, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then just go on our lives and do the same thing again. Repentance doesn't mean that. Repentance actually in the New Testament is a Greek word. All the New Testament writers, when they talk about the word repent, they actually use in Greek the word metanoia. Metanoia translated literally means to express a fundamental change in thinking that leads to a fundamental change in behavior and or way of living. That repentance is actually changing your mind. Repentance is renewing your mind. It's a fundamental way, it's a a fundamental change in the way that you think. And so I've gone through, I've been going through this process of During my sabbatical, since my sabbatical, going through this process of going, I need to renew my mind. I need to rethink church. I need to rethink. We we did a series on that. We saw a little bit of it. I need to rethink our system and, and get more aligned with God's way of doing things than with tradition's way of doing things in order for us to see what God is doing. For us to build stronger, It will take all of us, all of us, running with our own God-given call. So how? Paul answers that question in this chapter. And he goes on, and he says, okay, don't sit around your hands. But then he says, and mark that you do this with humility and discipline not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. So what he's saying is that in order for us to not sit around, it starts with humility and discipline. And it's, and it's acted out in taking care of one another in acts of love. There's that word again, acts. Not just saying I love you, or that we love everybody and I, I, just love, I just love you and all the rest of it. We can say it, but in acts of love. And then I love this, noticing differences. That kind of jumped out of me because we live in a society that if you think differently than I do, you're no longer in my circle. I will unfriend you. I will block you. I will. I, I can't, if we can't agree, we're going to lock you up. But this is what he says in the church... Come on in the church, he says, if you're gonna do this in humility and discipline, we need to notice differences, and then what does he say? And be quick at mending fences. Remember, be doers of the word, not just hearers, only. What else? He goes on and he says, You were all called, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with Oneness. So we each have a gift to run with, but we're not supposed to take off running on our own. That he says, be permeated in oneness. He didn't say be permeated in aloneness. right? That we all have a gift, and we can we all have our unique roads and paths to run on. But that doesn't mean that we disconnect from everybody else and and all that. He he says over and over and over again in this passage, stay together, stay together, stay together. In fact, this is so important. Jesus, his last prayer that is recorded in John 17, is he's praying for the the birth of the church. And he says, says, Father, make them one. He didn't didn't say, Father, make them one. Keep them theologically correct. Keep them right. He says, no, Father may keep them united, one, all all together. And Paul mentions this over and over again. So building stronger really starts with togetherness. Building stronger starts with togetherness. He goes on. He says, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. <laughs> no, I. I mean, it's, so, it's so good. Come on. We live in, in the Western way of doing church is that we, when you attend any church, you can basically tell what church people attend by the fact that they all speak, and look, and act the same. And if you don't speak and look and act the same, you go to another church. Isn't that right? <laughs> Nobody's noticed that. Come on. But he says we're not supposed. It's not. It's not that we have to look and speak and act all the same. And he says, in in, in fact, he says, let's celebrate one another's differences. Let's be different. Let's be unique. The church should look different than one another, speak differently, act differently. That's crazy, right, to what culture says. But this is, we're not following culture's traditions. We gotta follow God's lead. Then he says, out of the generosity of Christ, each one of us is given his own gift. Out of the generosity of Christ, each one of us is given his own gift. The text for this, Is And then he quotes, I believe it's Psalm 68. He says, He climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and seized the booty. He handed it out in gifts to the people. Okay. Then he goes on. He says this. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down the valley of the earth... And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled the earth with his gifts. What in the world does that mean? The only thing it means is, we look at that and say, well, that's a lot of complicated Bible talk. What in the world is he saying? You know what he's saying? Is He's saying you shouldn't be arrogant with your gift because your gift is not about you. Your gift came from Him. That all of our gifts are God-given. They originate with him, so I can't go around and, and see what we do with our own gifts and our own calling is we begin to compare ourselves to one another, and, we'll, and we disqualify ourselves from our own calling because we compare ourselves to one another, and we, we either feel insecure or we either feel arrogant. And he's like, why would you feel insecure or feel arrogant if your gift is from him? We're not all supposed to look the same, act the same, we're not, and be the same, and we're not supposed to compare ourselves to one another because the gifts came from him and he put the body together to fit it all together that you shouldn't compare yourself to me or to anybody else and saying well I'm better than or I'm less than or I can't do that or I can disqualify myself because my gift doesn't look like his gift or her gift and and or I'm better than because you, you shouldn't be arrogant or insecure the gift comes from him Then he says, he handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor-teacher to train Christ followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Now on my sabbatical, there's there's one phrase, and people are you know, asking me, "What's God showing me? What's God showing me?" I don't know, except that I had this one phrase repeating over and over and over again. It, almost every morning I wake up, like almost every day, this phrase would come over and over again, and I just hear it as a gentle nudge. And the the, the nudge was this verse, verse eleven which is equip the saints for the work of ministry, equip the saints for the work of ministry, equip the saints for the work of ministry, equip the saints for the work of ministry. Just kept on hearing it over and over and over and over again until I was like, what in the, okay, I get it, I'm going to equip the saints. He's are like, no, 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 equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which led me down this chase of going, okay, well, how do we do that? And then you start seeing some of these revelations of different things and going, oh, that the only way I know how to do church, and the only way I've been taught to do church, and the only traditions of church that I've ever grown up in, I was like, it's not equipping the saints at all. In fact, what I've grown up with is, is if I'm going to equip the saints, that means I'm going to equip you to serve me in my ministry. I'm going to train you to be volunteers or to, to further our church and further our ministry. And I looked at it, and I was like, that's not equipping each one, because throughout the whole passage, that's not equipping each one to their own call. That each one of us is called. In fact, I love, I love the passions versions, uh, uh Version of verse 12 in this one. It says this, and their calling, their being the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, says this, their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And they do this. When, and as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Their calling, the, the pastors, my calling, my job is to nurture and prepare all. Can you say that word? All. When you look up the original language, guess what it means? It means All. Doesn't mean some of you. It means all to equip all of you, the holy believers, to do. I love this passion for their own works of ministry, not to serve me. My job is not to have you and to train you to serve me. My job is to serve you. To help. You discover your God-given call to equip you, skill develop you, train you, support you, come alongside, walk with you in your call. And as you walk in your call, and as I equip and train and support and, and nurture, it says, the, as they do this, it, this will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Your call isn't necessarily within the church. Come on, this is metanoia. Renew our minds, renew our thinking. When we say called, I'm called of God, we think, well, I'm called within the church, that I need to be called into ministry. When I'm called into ministry, I'm called within the church to serve the church. But watch, the church isn't one gathering once a week it's not a building the church is ecclesia it's two or three that the mo- the majority the vast majority of you your call isn't your ministry isn't within the four walls of the church your ministry is to be the church in your workplace that your pulpit come on your pulpit at your business is no less important than my pulpit here in the church that you have a ministry, have a call in your neighborhood, in your business, in, in, in whatever God has called you to do. It's not based on, on just supporting parallel church. It's about supporting, what does it say? The body of Christ. The, the body. Not, that's, that doesn't mean just one church. The body, the kingdom of God. Metanoia. And then and then he says this Verse fourteen. He says, No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark or an easy prey for predators. In other words, if we don't do it God's way, we will be weak and susceptible to the enemy. And the truth is, come on, the truth is that our system of church, the, the Western way of church, dictates prolonged emphases. Because the way we do it is we create and many of us pastors, we, we like this. We create dependence. We create people who are dependent on the pastor or dependent on, on being fed, fed the word from the pastor, healing and prayer and all the rest of it from the pastor. That we, everything has to come and we, we create, just in our system, dependence. And what we do is dependent. What's a dependent? A complete dependent is an infant. There's nobody more dependent, completely dependent on anybody else than an infant. And that the way we do, church, as we do it, is we create, just in the system alone, we create prolonged infancies. However, if we repent, metanoia, and do it God's way, here's what he promises. This is what Paul promises. He said, this is what's gonna happen. But instead, we will remain strong. We will remain strong. We will build stronger. We will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of the body of the church. We will be strong. That's why number five is build stronger. And all of our direction and ministries will flow from who? Christ. Christ. Not from the pastor. That's so much better. Trust me, that's so much better. After all, who's the head of the church? Jesus is. That's what he's saying. And then he says, he says this, for his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together together and constantly connected as one. There, there it is again. Paul emphasizing the importance of being closely joined together. Constantly connected as one. And once people in our circle understand their calling, it's important that we must stay connected, stay joined together as one. Why? Like, why does he keep saying this over and over and over again, multiple times in this passage? Why? Why? I believe it's because what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4 is so true. He says, the better off, (coughs) two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Right? One person falls, the other can reach out and help. See, as you run in your own call, God's called you, and joined you together with somebody else. Somebody else has a similar call, uh, similar purpose. And as we begin to run together, Ecclesia two or three, as we begin to run together, what happens? If you start stepping out in your call, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get discouraged. Promise you, you're gonna get discouraged. What happens? What do you do when you're discouraged? You have somebody that's running with you and saying, come on, we got this. We can do this. Come on. God's called you. Come on. Remember this. Remember that. Don't forget the goodness of God. Come on. You're, you got this. I'll pray for you, but I'm going to encourage you. And we run with one another. That's, that's how we do that. And he says a person standing alone can, can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer and three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Isn't that interesting that he says two or three? Jesus called that ecclesia two or three, two or three, two or three. Two or three. Not two or three hundred, two or three. And Paul concludes this thought in verse 16, and he says, and every member, every member, there's not one of you excluded from this. Every member of God's church, every believer has been given divine, that's God-given gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively through the whole body, we are built up and made Perfect? Made perfect? In love. Each one of us has been given a gift. And we, as we operate in these gifts effectively, the church is built up and made perfect. Did he just say the church would be perfect? Metanoia... I've said it over and over and over again. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And yet the Bible disagrees. (laughs) That there is a perfect church. There's no such thing as a Western world perfect church. Because this system creates imperfection. Creates prolonged infancies. But... Paul said the perfect church is when each one of you begin to operate in your God-given gifts and partner with somebody else, and you run along your path, and you begin begin to see mission and see people and see need, and you begin to meet them. And it doesn't doesn't have to be to build up parallel church. It's to build up the body of Christ. And as we do this, he says, as we work alongside and cheer each other on and, 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 and go will be made perfect. Wow. So as we wrap this up, let me show you where build stronger is. Build stronger is in the middle here, it's your call. And it's not only you discovering your call, it's it's discovering it, but it's you operating and running in your call. And that my job And my calling is to help equip, to train, to nurture, to come alongside, to encourage, to pray for, to to give permission to, to challenge you, to, to get out there and do your call. Not just to build one church, but to build the body of Christ. Imagine. And here's what I, as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I was like, wow. When you begin operating in your call, this is what happens. When you begin operating your call, you're going to become more dependent on God, because you're going to hit trouble, because the devil doesn't want you (laughs) to walk in your call. But as you begin to walk in your calling, you're going to become more dependent on God, and it's going to force you to focus higher, that you're going to become dependent on other people, and it's going to force you to grow smaller, and you're going to become you're going to need to get some ideas and brainstorm some things, and you're going to be, you're going to need to anchor deeper. You're going to force to do that. And you begin with your mission, you begin operating your mission. You're going to need, and part of your mission, you got to stick with it, is to love louder. Amen. Does this help anybody? Today's takeaway is that my New Year's resolution, not just for this year, but moving forward, my New Year's resolution is to focus higher, anchor deeper, grow smaller, love louder, and discover and run in my own God-given calling with others in order to build stronger. Now, metanoia means to rethink, think differently, but also means that that thinking differently causes us to act differently. So because of that, we're making some changes around here. We're going to find ways and all kinds of ways. We're finding ways. We're starting to do it. We're going to find ways to equip you in your call. And so please don't miss March 3rd. Mark it on your calendar. March 3rd, we're going to do a Vision Sunday where I'm going to begin to unveil what kind of changes we're making as a church the truth is I love our church I love how we do things so it's not easy but at the same time I kind of want a perfect church it's good but it's not perfect and I'm I I don't want to do church culturally or traditionally correct. I want to do church biblically, God led correct. So we're going to reposition some things, reposition some things, rework some things, tweak some things. It's not going to be drastic changes. First, we'll be gentle with y'all, but we're going to reposition and rechange some things for the purpose of helping you discover and find your call and release you in it. I hope that terrifies you. Just kidding. (laughs) Let's pray. thank you Lord for your word for the clarity of it for the revelation within and Lord I repent of being bound by tradition and culture more than your lead God, I just pray that you would stir within each of our hearts the call. Lord, many of us have felt it at one time, but we've laid it down. I pray that you'd resurrect it. Some of us aren't sure what it is. We don't know. God, I pray that you'd enlighten and you'd you'd show and Lord, when you do, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to know what to do and the courage to follow through. In Jesus' name.